Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October, alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival, brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. It is such a pleasure and truly an honor to have Dr. Craig Clifford back. He's a leading oncologist in the veterinary field and involved in the head of, I don't know what the, all the titles are, but he's a very important person in the, in the canine and, and feline cancer fields, and he's the head of the Take Charge Cancer Registry. Dr. Clifford, thanks for coming back and telling us again why comparing oncology research partly between children and dogs, but also just in dogs, is so important that we get as many people to participate in the registry as possible. Yeah, thanks again for having me, certainly, as a way to start. And also, I'm the the co-chair. Teresa Fossum is a a board-certified surgeon who is a co-chair with me. So Thank you for clarifying that. I knew it wasn't just you, but, you know, when you say someone's the boss person, you think, oh, gosh, there's someone else's toes you're stepping on. Yes, you do a a great job together at that and I'm sure many other medical things. Yep, no no worries at all. And we definitely, as with anything, it uh, takes a village to put these things together. So. 
for animal health has been incredibly helpful in putting the finances behind this because these, as you can imagine, are not inexpensive endeavors to move forward with. And then IB is the group that is helping us from the back end with the being able to pull the charts out um, to make it that it's anonymous, et cetera. So it's definitely plus a large contingent of oncologists that are part of the board. Um, so yes. it is definitely a lot of us working on this, but you're right. Part of the what we're looking at is We've certainly learned that we call it One Health now for a reason in that we know that there are many diseases that can occur in cross species. You know, COVID was a big one for us being able to see a virus be able to do that. Right. But we're looking at it more from the therapeutic and more from the cancer side. And without question, there are numerous examples of cancers that occur in people that are very similar, if not somewhat identical to that in dogs. And as we said before, you know, they're almost kind of a canary in the coal mine because mm -hmm. they live in the same environment as us and they're exposed to the same things, but they have a much shorter lifespan. So if things are developing in them first, it could be a harbinger of that being developed in us. Comparative so, oncology. So I just, I just want to make it, make it clear to people listening, if you have a dog who has cancer now, I just want to be clear about this, not one who's had cancer and well, he's probably not been cured of it because you just don't get cured of canine cancer. You live with it until you die from it, in my experience, other than maybe some mast cell cancer. But it has to be living dogs who are part of the registry. Is that right? Correct. Um, what we are looking at right now are dogs that have been diagnosed with it, um, only because most of the cases that have passed, the records don't stay very long within the right. system. Right, that's right. Um, so it's difficult to be able to obtain those. So what we're looking for help is we're looking for help from kind of a grassroots with owners, um, owners that are very interested in trying to push the needle forward and yes. want to be involved, have their pet's data. That's one aspect. And the other is coming in from the veterinarian. So the veterinarian who has diagnosed this, who would like to talk to the owner and see if the owner is willing to have their data put out there to help us. And then the third arm is, as we all know, um, corporate consolidators represent a large proportion of the veterinary practices. So instead of just entering one practice, theoretically, since many of the corporate consolidators use the same practice management software, we could gain access to a very large number. Uh, the hard part, of course, is that, as you know, we live in a day and age where uh, privacy is incredibly important. So we have really tried to do everything we can from our side to be able to show all the groups that everything is anonymous, that we're not getting any pay owner data, nothing like that is coming through. It is only about the cancer, et cetera. So there is some worry from some groups because of that, but we have done our best to mitigate that risk. And you are, you, the, the pet owner, the, the veterinary practice owner, you are advancing knowledge about cancer treatment, prevention, cure. You definitely are. I mean, the, the history of cancer research shows you that in an extraordinary book like the biography of the disease cancer, uh, the emperor of all maladies, which shows you that every single step along the way from ancient times to modern is everybody contributing what they can and offering themselves to be part of the solution. So interesting, corporate consolidators, if some of you don't know what that phrase means, it means that Blue Pearl, VCA, I don't know how many other corporate entities have been have bought up, been buying up individual 
veterinary practices. And so to some degree, they run them, but certainly their software uh, is involved in all of them. So I just want to make that clear because someone might hear that, Dr. Craig, and think, what is a corporate consolidator? Sounds like something that happens far away, you know, in the manufacturing field or something, but it's really veterinary practices being bought. So what I want to ask you, why I invited you back, was, and I understand that research is very spotty in terms of understanding what causes cancer, but what concerns me is that I only know of three kind of basic uh, tubs you could put it into. One's environmental, one's genetic, and perhaps one is nutritional. And the one that concerns me is nutritional because so many people have, I don't know why, decided that it's a given fact that dog food, particularly kibble, causes cancer. This is now sort of said by people as if they're saying, uh, you know, coffee is black or it's white if you put cream in it. Can you talk just for a minute about the causes of cancer that are actually known to science in dogs? Yeah, I mean, certainly in dogs, without question, we know that genetics plays a role. Um, so yes. We've seen that there are multiple breeds that tend to have a high um, incidence of cancer within them. So clearly there is a genetic influence. As far as environmental, we do have some data to suggest certain skin cancers may be a result of UV light exposure, very similar to that in people. We know for a wide variety of cancers, many different purebreds are susceptible or have a higher incidence of the disease. So certainly genetics, there's no doubt about that. As far as environmental, you know, there are a little more loose end studies, I would say, in that, say for lung tumors, they've shown it's more common in patients that live closer to urban areas than suburban, meaning dogs living in Montana, less of a risk of lung cancer versus, say, living in New York City, et cetera. Interesting. Other things that they have shown is skin cancers. UV light, we know, is a very common cause of skin cancer in people. And we see that with some skin cancers in dogs. But to get to your point regarding nutrition, that's certainly one that many of the, I would say, boutique dog groups that are out there in regards to dog food love to tout without any real data behind it that dog food or processed dog food leads to cancer. We really have no data out there to suggest that this is true versus feeding a home-to-cooked diet. There are no true studies in regards to that, and it's a hard one to fight because we don't have any studies to say that it's not a cause, but we certainly don't have any studies to say it's a cause. And it's a, a nice marketing ploy, certainly, as you can imagine, to come out and say, use my diet because processed food leads to cancer. So, of course, what's an owner not mm -hmm. having a, a understanding going to do? They're going to move to these. And what happens each month is we keep finding out with many of the boutique blends, whether it's not a lack of oversight, I'm not sure, but many of them are having recalls for too much vitamin D or, or too much certain minerals or contamination. And, um, you know, those are things that are happening with it. So myself, I'm a veterinary oncologist, and I feed a traditional diet for my own dogs. Well, that's, that's let me that, let me just interrupt and say that, that I understand that you're speaking, in a sense, on behalf of the sort of landmark pet food uh, manufacturers, because that's what you're, that's the world you live in. 
I would just like to, to, to take a little bit of umbrage saying that there's frequent recalls of boutique brands because there's very infrequent recalls of dog food. There haven't been any in the last two or three years at all. So when there's a recall, it doesn't necessarily happen with what the traditionalists, let's call let's just be clear, Royal Canin, Hills, Purina, the ones that also have veterinary diets that, that veterinarians use as medicine, c- correctly so, and this what is called sometimes super premium. I don't know where the word boutique ever came around, but anyway, there it was. Uh, I think that it's important that consumers not view it as a war between brands that have been around a long time in a, let's call them traditional way, I call them sort of landmark brands, and then the companies which are sometimes called boutique, but now in fact, the bigger companies, particularly Purina and and Hills to some degree, they've bought some of these more holistic sounding brands that have slightly different ingredients. All kibble is highly processed, all of it, every little bit of it, no matter what kibble you feed. I just don't understand why otherwise intelligent people acting on emotion, not logic, think that somehow there's a correlation between any kind of a processed food and cancer. I mean, they're drinking, many people, massive numbers of people drink diet cola. Now, diet cola always had carcinogenic ingredients, which only now they're saying, ooh, some of they, the FDA, whomever, that some of the ingredients in diet sodas have a direct link to cancer for people. People don't talk about that. They don't see their their child or their friend drinking diet cola and go, oh my God, that could cause cancer. But they have this kind of, I don't know, strange idea that processed pet food, meaning pet food, is cancer causing? I don't think that that's very useful. Do you, to to understanding no. the disease or getting treatment or having a good relationship with your vet when you come in and say to the vet, "I know," to your oncologist, "I know the food caused it." Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, where did that come from? All I can think about is it a possible marketing ploy, or has it come from some of the fringe groups that are out oh, there? Oh, totally, not even fringe. I mean, I will tell you that Blue Buffalo. The very first, which is now a completely traditional food, really, always was, actually. And I don't mind saying brands because these are just facts. That was first marketed by someone who said, my dog got cancer and I know it was from the other kibble. And then proceeded to make a highly processed dry food, which has been wildly successful. And yet, it's really no different than any other dry kibble. They're all highly processed. No matter what you put in there, it has to be extruded, right? So, I mean, it's not even fringe. It's now the kind of some of the staple companies, or as I said, Purina has bought up brands that didn't even make an anti-cancer claim, but are viewed as more boutique-y. But do you think this is unhelpful to people that are caring for their animals and are scared of them getting cancer? I think it's unhelpful. Let's say I think it is. What do you think? No, I agree 100%, and I think it doesn't really expand our veterinary knowledge of it. Exactly. You know, it's an easy buzzword to say, and I think it's designed to scare people into Mm -hmm. it. To go off topic, but if you type in dog cancer, some of the top things that pop up are things that people have no data on, and they're designed to prey upon owners that are you know, worried about their pet, their child having cancer, and will do anything. So they're grasping at straws. 
And it's unfortunate, you know, if for the Internet, it's whoever pays the most gets the top search. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Many of the companies that are up there are ones that have really no data. So on a daily basis, going into exam rooms, I have to talk to owners about it. That's, now, that's my point, is that it makes a barrier between a medical practitioner with knowledge and research trying to lengthen the life of your dog who has cancer and is going to die from it, but we'd like to make that quality of life for as long as possible, right? And you're going to sit there and they're going to say, well, now I'm going to boil chicken, as if that's anything to do with this deadly disease, which is fairly rampant. And we're just getting better at finding it on some level. Is that not true? Yep, without question. And and not to diminish nutrition, there's no doubt it plays a role um, in, and should play a role. And I think part of it for us in oncology is that, you know, owners are often looking for a way that they can be part of the team against the cancer. Right. And they do dietary manipulations or management as a way to be able to do that, which I think is wonderful. You know, I have no issue with that. But what I do try to let them know is to date, there really haven't been any studies within people or in veterinary medicine that have shown modifying the diet, changing the diet has really advanced survival within particular cancers. Now, having said that, does it make sense to make the body less hospitable to cancer? Without question. So to me, I view it more as if we can have something that's highly palatable and the dog likes it and it contains um, everything they need to be very well balanced, that's perfect. And I have no issue with that when I talk to owners. And and if uh, just to give people a kind of a a comparison. Many people get cancer, right, unfortunately, and many more people are diagnosed with cancer because of better diagnostic tools. I've lived through it on so many levels. Mother, husband, self, sister, friends, you name it, everybody has. Does any doctor, oncologist, or primary care practitioner ever say, what do you eat? I mean, this is the problem, is that they're disconnect thinking that because it's their beloved pet over which they have no control, who's going to predecease them, even if they live without any disease. It, it's so illogical, uh, Dr. Craig. It just, it's like it's only with dogs is this become the question and the answer, and not with humans or with children. No one says, do you feed fast food to your child? Do they eat puffs in a bag covered in oil and salt? Do they drink a weirdly colored flavored drink, right? And that would make people feel really guilty and stupid if they said, oh my God, all this time I've been eating X, doing Y, and I wouldn't have gotten cancer if I hadn't done it. But with the dogs, they're like, oh, that's the answer. And now I can change it or fix it by going, you know, in some other direction. It's only too late, but it has nothing to do with it. It's an emotional reaction, not a scientific one. Yeah, without question. And that's the challenge with this day and age that we live in, you know, not not to go off topic political, but it's with anything. People can say whatever they want with anything backing it because we're able to. We have free speech. But the challenge is that in a situation like this, saying anything without any true data behind it may influence other owners. And that's not necessarily a benefit. I, I couldn't agree more, and it's why I asked you back. I mean, you are on the front lines, both in your daily practice and in your work with the Take Charge Cancer Registry. And I think it's really important for people to respect science and be grateful that we have veterinary oncologists. It hasn't even been a subspecialty for very long in the short 15 years that I've been in the field. 
Alice Villalobos was the first oncologist I knew, and she doesn't have a degree in oncology because there wasn't one when she came out of UC Davis and was studying cancer and wrote a textbook. So we should be so grateful to you for being there, for having this knowledge, for putting in all these extra years. I think it's really important that we don't muddy the waters by talking about dog food. That's all. I mean, I think that genetics is probably the strongest driver. So you've got Rottweilers, you've got Boxers, you've got Goldens, and plenty of other breeds that sadly and unfortunately it's in their genetic makeup. And you have people in the dog fancy importing dogs from England, Ireland, other countries to try and get to change the gene pool of some of these breeds, right? And that's that's the hard part we have is that, you know, uh, if we really think about the whole point of procreation is to take two unlikes, put them together and create something brand new. But we have breeds because people love yep. their certain breeds. And yep. I am full well, transparency. I am guilty of it. Me I love too. English Labradors. They got a big blocky head. <laughs> I love the way they look. But really, what is the best dog we should all have is a mutt. But many people don't want that because they want their certain look. And, um, you know, that is a, an issue that we created. But let's also remember that every breed that we love, and mine are Weimaraners, were mutts. We, somebody 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 90 years ago, took a couple of different breeds and put them together to get the characteristics they wanted. I mean, the mutt I had from Southampton Animal Shelter, Jazzy, who came back with, D, with one of those DNA tests that was clearly not logical at all based on what she looked like, she got cancer and both her ACLs blew. So much for hybrid vigor. I, I just don't, because some part of her must have had that gene makeup of one of the breeds that has loads of cancer circulating. It's, it's, it, there is no safe space. I mean, unless I guess you go try and find some incredibly obscure breed from Nepal, you know, that's, that doesn't have it, but there's only seven of them in the world, which is obviously a little far-fetched. Dr. Craig Clifford, I really appreciate you being here. I really help, hope that this has helped people to think twice and please three times before a knee-jerk reaction that is, in my opinion, disrespectful to the veterinary medical field, which is working so hard. And the Take Charge Cancer Registry, there'll be a link to it with the podcast. Please participate as anonymously as you want. If your dog is suffering from cancer, you may be able to help change the future for other dogs. Thanks again, Dr. Clifford. Thanks so much for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them 
despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable magic fabric pet throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 